Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today we're going verse by verse through the book of John. So turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. And he said to them, Draw out some now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Now again, notice obedience. Without obedience, we really, and without faith, we can't please God. Doing it is putting faith, putting feet to your faith. Okay? I can say, I believe God can do anything. And I'm just going to sit here by the phone, waiting for somebody to call me to come get a job. No, God says, you go out, you know, all, somebody asked me one time, how much do you do and how much does God do? No, that's a good question. I mean, in some places in the Bible, we we see that God did everything. Then we look at the case like in Noah, where it took him over a hundred years to build a boat to save the world. How much do we do and how much does God do? Well, God, first of all, does everything we can't do. So I want to be real careful when I say, okay, God, I want you to do this when God says, well, you do that and I'll bless what you do. See, in other words, when we take a step of faith, that's where the power of God is released. Again, I've shared this many times. Why was God such a uh, God of miracles in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the New Testament? Whether it be changing the water to wine or uh, little boys coming back to life with Elijah. or well, why, was, why, why was God such a God of miracles? And then today we don't see very many miracles. It's because most people don't go and take a step of faith. That's where the power of God is. And that's where the power of God is released. And so when they, the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine... And he did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. By the way, friends, this is another one of those great clues in the Bible. In the crowd of people, there are always going to be those who know and those who don't know. The master of the of the ceremony did not know where the wine came from, but the servants did. You're always going to find that, that the servants always know what's going on. The people at the top don't know, or the recipient of the blessings don't know. But those that are close to Jesus see and know. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 men, it says. We don't know how many women and children were there. Well, those that were close to Jesus, as Jesus began to break the loaves and minister to the people... Everybody in the crowd was what? A recipient of the blessing of God. But I venture to say that probably only the disciples knew the supernatural miracle that was going on. I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd of 5,000 people. I have been. If you've ever been to a a baseball game or a football game, and there might be 10, 12, 15, 20,000 people there. Not very many people know very much about what's going on, except what's going on down on the field. 
I wouldn't be surprised if those people thought that Jesus had a big cave of food someplace and the disciples just kept going and getting it. But the disciples, as they watched that basket passed around and they'd pick it up from one row of people, the Bible says Jesus had them set down in groups. As that went around that row of people and they picked it up and they looked in the basket and it was still full. They go, oh, something weird going on here. Let's take it over to this group. Okay, round it goes. All you can eat fish and chips. Mm-mm, good. Made by Jesus himself. All that going on comes back. Mm, basket's still full. That's weird. I was thinking over this one. You can just see him going around. The disciples saw the miracle. The masses were the receiver of the miracle, but maybe did not know what was going on, as in the case that we're reading right now. The master didn't know, of the ceremonies didn't know where the wine came from, but the servants did. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Now, it doesn't say he called Jesus. (laughs) Really important. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk... Then which is inferior, but you have kept the good wine for last. You've kept the good wine till now. So this tells me the party was well and on in in the progression of the day. But then he says, you've kept the best for last. Isn't that amazing? That the master of of the ceremony knew Something was going on. He said, this is the best for last. Now, there's all kinds of articles. If you want to beleaguer yourself with some crazy study, you can go for endless books on, was this wine alcoholic? <laughs> I go, oh, my goodness. They just, the train runs off the rails. They don't even get it. I would say based upon what this guy said, it probably was, in fact, indeed alcoholic. But you see, friends, there's something far more significant in this first miracle that Jesus did. Because if we look at the next verse, verse 11, this beginning of the signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed him. This was the first miracle that Jesus did. Like I say, this has really, I think, friends, nothing to do with uh, the amount of wine that was made. Though we do find a great record here and there's a great, a lot of spiritual application. But something far greater than this. If you back up in your Bible just one chapter. In the beginning, go to verse 1. John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Farther on it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's talking about Jesus Christ and who He is. But verse 3 is pivotal. He says, all things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. Wow. The Bible says that Jesus made everything. 
That ought to give you and me great comfort to know he made everything. He knows how I tick. He knows how I work. He knows all those things about you and me. And what's really great about that, he knows how to fix us when we break. The manufacturer always knows how to fix what breaks. If you have a toaster and it breaks and it's a Samsung, you don't call Ford. Why? They didn't make it. Second of all, I'd venture to say they don't care. Unless you have one built into the dashboard of your car. In which that would be an interesting invention. You could cook your toast while you drive. Okay, just a thought. But when you think about that, you realize that the one who made you knows how to fix you. God made everything. But here's what is so absolutely important about this first miracle. It's noteworthy that John said it was the beginning of all the things he did. Beginning. Hmm. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was about form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And we find the creation of the world. God said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What did we just read here in John 1.3? All things were made by Him, and without Him not anything made was made. What was the first miracle that Jesus did? Was it making the water into wine? No, it was creating the heavens and the earth. That was the first thing. He just said, all things were made by him. Without him, not anything that's made is made. And so we know that Jesus made everything. Well, when he made everything, what did he make? Well, the old adage, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, Dopey the chicken did. Why do we know that? Because the Bible tells us everything reproduced after its own kind. And God created, the Bible says, the animals. He created the earth. He created man in the garden. And when God created man... He was a squalling little baby. And the baboons came by and nursed him into a full-grown man. Oh, you won't find that in the Bible. God says that he created man, what? Fully mature. And so God caused the deep sleep to come upon Adam. And from his side, woman was made. And when Adam awoke, there she was. Adam calls out, Baboons, come back. No, that's not what happened. What was it? She was fully matured, fully grown. You say, Mike, where are you going with this? This is like watching some kind of a demented Walt Disney cartoon. No, not at all. Here's the point. God created the heavens and the earth, Adam and Eve, this world, what? Fully mature. Why is that important? Because I believe when you find a lot of the scientists that say this earth is billions and billions of years old, they would like to use the word trillions, but that would be interfering with our national debt. So I'm sure that's a reason they don't do that. But billions and billions of years old, 
And we go, well, the earth is only, according to the Bible, 6,000 years old. How could they come up with the carbon dating and, and all these things that say the earth is billions or millions of years old? Well, Adam was created fully mature. Why would God put us all on an earth that wasn't fully mature? And so I believe that God created the heavens and the earth to be fully mature. Fully grown. In other words, God took something new, and for many of the people that don't believe in creation, make it appear to be old. What is the first miracle then that Jesus did on this earth, according to Scripture? He changed the water to wine. What is required to make wine from grape juice? Time. But yet time, God lives, He doesn't live in time like we do. He, 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 there's no beginning or ending of days for Him. That's what we find as we studied in Revelation a few weeks ago in the last chapter of Revelation. It says He's the Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and the last. He lives in all times presence. I don't know how you do that, but He does. But here's what's amazing. He took something new or even something different, water, and made it appear to be old and choice. For the, ma- for the master of the ceremony said, most people bring out the great wine, the best wine at the first. And when people are well drunk, then they bring out the inferior grade because, hey, you know, they're, on, they're <laughs> seeking the buzz. But he said, you've kept the best for last. God took something, Jesus took something new and made it appear to be old age. You know, by the way, that's one of the things, you know. I'm not a drinker. I've never drank. When they come up to me and say, well, do you want to smell the cork? I go, get out of my face. I don't understand that. I don't know about that. But they say that certain years, because of the rain and all those things, were better than others. The, they're called, it's called vintage. And some, oh, yeah, a bottle of 1820 wine, you know. I can't imagine anybody leaving that setting around that long. Mealy bugs or something, I don't know. But you, you realize that they, they have these different vintages. The guy at the wedding said, this is the best. Well, he was recognized it. Jesus took something different and made it appear as something else and aged. God created the heavens and the earth different and made it appear to be aged. He created the earth fully mature with everything in it fully mature. The first miracle Jesus did on this earth was to take something and make it appear to be fully mature. So I don't have a problem with somebody that says, well, the radioisotopes of this particular thing, the carbon-14 dating, says that this is, this is a, 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 a billion years old. I go, yeah, probably. Jesus made everything complete. I believe he built in all those things. Why? Because Adam was a completely developed human when he put him on earth. What come first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken. Fully mature. 
And so when understanding that, there is much more, I believe, to this first miracle of Jesus than the simple understanding of, will Jesus turn water to wine? But rather, it is a picture type of how God made everything and how He made everything mature. Perhaps God created the earth with the oil reserves already in it. You mean it's not Dino in my, in my tank? Can't drive around with a tiger in your car. Remember that song years ago where they tried to make, uh, the dinosaur oil and fossil fuel you oftentimes hear. Well, they now believe that it may not be fossil fuel. In fact, they have pumped out in England some of the wells and they ran dry of this tarry-like substance that we call crude oil. And they pumped it all out. And one of the scientists said, we ought to go back and see what's going on there. They go back and they found that many of these have refilled. Well, since there's not dinosaurs running around on the earth right now, they came to the conclusion that maybe this is not fossil fuel at all, but maybe it's some kind of a byproduct of the earth in the generation of heat that is down underneath the mantle of the earth, down in the core of the earth, and this stuff comes bubbling up and refills these cavities. Well, that's a novel concept. You see, the problem is the Word of God doesn't lie. The Word of God doesn't change. Man's science may change. You you probably never heard of the Van Allen Belt. The Van Allen Belt, my dad said in 1936 as he was graduating from high school, he remembers one of the questions on one of his tests and said, inner space travel is impossible because of what reason? At that time, everyone was taught the Van Allen Belt that was around the earth prevented anything from this earth going beyond our atmosphere. So the Van Allen Belt prevented all moon travel, space travel, period. Well, guess what? After the Second World War, they discovered there was no Van Allen Belt. See, the Bible doesn't talk about any such thing as a Van Allen Belt. In fact, the Bible is really accurate. So we say, well, well what, what about in the Bible where it says the four corners of the earth? Well, depending two possible solutions on that, if you take a map and lay it down on a table, you're going to have four corners. But actually what most people believe is north, east, west, south, the four quadrants of the earth to determine where we're at. In fact, they even made a grid system of longitude and latitude to determine exactly where on this earth you are. Exactly what the Bible says. So understanding nothing new hits the Bible as something that is that that's pivotal, that, oh, now the Bible's not true, though they try. And so then they just make stuff up. So whether it be the Da Vinci Code, that Jesus was married and had kids, or even these other religions that have taught that Jesus was married, and in fact a polygamist and had kids and all these things, The Word of God doesn't teach that. You can base your facts, your life, upon the Word of God. You see, that's what's so important because today there seems to be a huge breakdown between science and religion. And there's not. You don't have to park your brain in the parking lot when you come into church. There is evidence for your faith as a Christian. 
Every river, stream, coinage, all those things have been found. We have a, a DVD uh, you can check out from the from the, the bookstore uh, where it talks about. Where you can actually see the four-spoke chariot wheels in the bottom of the Red Sea, which were unique to Moses' dynasty. Sometimes they were six spokes, depending on which dynasty it was. Some were eight. Some were even wood wheels, which don't exist. These were metal four-spoke wheels. They're found in the bottom of the Red Sea, and they have no explanation how they all got out there. Weird. Do you know there's no real explanation why we have a seven-day work week and on, on the seventh day we rest? I read an article last night, and it said, well, it was because the Babylonians wanted six days and a seventh day to worship their gods. What's wrong with that? The Bible and the Torah precedes the Babylonian empire by a couple thousand years. So we know it didn't originate with Babylon. It originated with God. And that's why we have a seven-day work week. Just what the Bible says. There's evidence for your faith. In other words, well, you know, I'm just blindly going to accept that whatever God says is true. No, there's evidence for it. And there's evidence for how to run your business, how to run your family, how to run your life. All those things are in God's Word. So what does God want from us? Well, it came back to what Mary said to Jesus. Whatever he says, do, do that. That's what makes a servant of God. Is whatever he says, do that. Have you done that? Have you done what God asked you to do? Well, what is that? Well, we remember they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And he said, the second is likened unto it. And what's interesting here is that they didn't ask him what the second one was. They only asked him what the most important one was. But Jesus always gives back more than we ask. And so he said, the second is likened unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said something, friends, that sets us all free, which makes the book of Galatians so relevant. He said, upon these two commands... Love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. It's interesting the Bible says all the law and the prophets. Why is that important? Because there's groups around today that are trying to get you to go back under um, uh, Jewish high holy days. There are those that are trying to get you to go uh, not eat meat on 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 uh, Friday or or uh, that you have to worship on Saturday or you have to join their club, their church or whatever. Jesus said to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. The word all in the Greek there, interesting, is the word all. It means everything. Everything you want to know about all the ritualistic stuff in the Old Testament, the ceremonial washings, all that were all fulfilled in Christ. All Jesus looks at us today and says, will you do my will? And you know, I was, well, maybe from the world's point of view, silly enough to say yes. But from God's point of view, wise enough to say yes, it changed my life. Change your life. You are not yet what you're going to be. Just as when Jesus called Peter Caiaphas or Rocky, the stone is what it actually means. He said to him, you're not yet what you're going to be. 
You're not either. I'm not either. It's a journey. And I just want to encourage you, keep your eyes wide open, count your blessings. How can I use these blessings to further the kingdom of God? What would God use? Listen, friends, if God will use water pots, he can use anything that we got. Thank you for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com slash it's time. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thank you for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.